Romans, the 12th chapter. And um, I want to, uh, before I read the passage this morning, I want to comment for a moment on Memorial Day. Amen. In the Bible, we see that they would have certain feast days or holidays. And those days were more than just a day off work and a day out of school and a day to eat more than you would normally eat during a regular meal or a regular Monday. Um, there were days to commemorate, but they were also days to educate. Um, and days to where the older generation would explain to the younger generation, you know, what was what, what was up. And um, so on the 4th of July, we obviously celebrate our independence uh, Veterans Day, we celebrate all those uh, living men and women who served in the military. Labor Day was a holiday designed at the end of summer for the American worker. But Memorial Day is perhaps one of the more special of all those holidays. And that's the day where we as a nation remember the men and women who gave their lives in defense of this country. And so it's a very special day and, and um, I try to always make some mention of it. Sister Pam asked me, we were just talking about it, I guess it was yesterday or Friday, I'm not sure. She said, I wonder how many people have given their lives in defense of this nation. And I, it just kind of started me to thinking. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to look it up. And I um, almost wish there was some patriotic music playing in the background. But let's, um, let's very soberly work our way through these numbers for a moment, okay, and then we'll get into the words. Does that sound good? So during the American Revolution, and all of these, of course, are, I'm sure the numbers are more than this, but as far as confirmed or verified, the American Revolution, 4,435 American lives were lost. In the War of 1812, Sister Terry, you might need to come teach us on some of this stuff, right? Amen. In the War of 1812, 2,260 American lives. In the Indian Wars, this is more of an estimation because of just how spread out those were, but it's estimated that a thousand American lives were lost during those wars. The Mexican-American War, 1,733 American lives were lost. The Civil War, on the Union side, 140,414 people lost their lives in defense of this United States on the Confederate side, 74,524 American lives were lost. The Spanish-American War, 385 lost their lives. World War I, 53,402 Americans gave their lives in defense of freedom and this nation. World War II, it's really shocking. 291,557 people gave their lives to overthrow tyranny and evil as it was trying to advance itself in the world. The Korean War, 33,739 people gave their lives in that war. The Vietnam War, 47,434 people gave their lives in an effort to defeat communism there in that peninsula. 
during the Persian Gulf War, this would have been Desert Shield, Desert Storm, the one in 90 and 91, 148 lives were lost. And then finally, from 2001 to present, the global war on terrorism, 6,915 lives. So on this Memorial Day, we are commemorating 657,966 men and women who gave their lives to protect freedom and to see this nation become what it is today so that you and I can enjoy an afternoon off with our families tomorrow. Amen. And, and so it's more than just that. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. It's more than just um, a day off work or a day out of school or a day to eat some barbecue. It's a day for us as a nation to pay tribute to the sacrifice of these men and women so that we can continue to enjoy. I believe there's a spiritual connection to this as well because for all the issues and problems that we have as a nation, I think it's seven, almost eight out of every $10 that goes to further the gospel around the world comes from the United States of America. So obviously we've got our issues and, and there are things that we need to deal with, but this nation is still, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one nation under God and very thankful for what we do for the cause of the kingdom around the world today. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room who served in the military. I know there are men in this room who served in Vietnam, Lord, who, who had dear friends that lost their life in that battle in the defense of what we hold to be dear and true. Father, I thank you for these men's and women, their survivors, Lord, their families today. Lord, Memorial Day has a completely different meaning for them than it does perhaps for the rest of us. But Father, thank you for this nation. Thank you for our leaders. We pray, Father, for our president, for our, for our Congress, for our court system, Lord. We pray for our local leaders. Father, you tell us to pray for those who have the rule over us so that it might be well with us. And Father, that the cause of the gospel would not be hindered. So Lord, we thank you for wisdom for the men and women who are leading this nation and all the different aspects of it. Father, we pray for unity. We pray for peace in our country. We pray, Father, for peacemakers to rise up. Father, I believe that you're tapping men and women all across this great land of ours. You're tapping them on the shoulder to enter into the arena of politics, not because of greed or, or, or hunger for power, but, Father, because of a heart to serve. I thank you, Lord, that this movement will continue. We pray for an awakening for our nation, Father. We pray for a revival in our nation. We pray, Father, that... There would be a return to you and a return back to a heart for you, Lord, from the youngest among us to the eldest among us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Praise God. All right. Romans chapter 12. Have you found it yet? I gave you a few minutes to get there. Praise God. About 10 minutes. All right. Romans chapter 12. Let's begin again at verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now look at me for a moment. We've preached for almost 20 years now from this passage. Off and on, we refer to it often. It's such an important part of our growth and our maturing as believers, our spiritual growth and development, our spiritual maturity and development. 
I believe the bullseye for spiritual growth and development actually is the renewing of the mind. The more we think in agreement with our born-again spirit, the more we think in alignment with the Word of God, the more spiritually developed, the more spiritually mature that we're going to become. Now, I'm not here, it's a slippery slope because I start talking about that and we could talk about it on and on and on and on. But I'm wanting to draw to your attention two other words that we're about to read that are connected with, associated with the renewing of our minds. And that, first of all, is he's going to talk about your identity, which simply defined is how you think of yourself or how you see yourself. And then he's going to talk about function, function. There is a connection between identity and function that we need to understand. Now, I'm not here to, and I think I made this same comment or something similar to it last Sunday morning. I'm, I'm not one of those that, that bashes and berates people. I'm here to build you up. I'm here to encourage you. But if we are never willing to allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to address issues in our lives that, that, that need work, that need attention, then how can we grow? And, and of course, the Word of God talks about, and for instance, Hebrews, he talks about when we're being disciplined, it's never, it's never pleasant, but if we will submit ourselves to the correction that God has for us, the, the, the end result of that will be more fruitfulness and, 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 and greater uh, you know, effectiveness and, and, and so forth and so on. But if, if we can't be corrected, are you understand what I'm saying? If we won't listen to sound wisdom, if we won't allow God to show us, look, you know, He will certainly tell you all the things you're doing right, but He'll also show you areas that you need to work on. Amen? Now, I'm speaking to individuals, but this isn't just me and you in my office talking. Amen? So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to all of us this morning. And I don't just mean that this message is for every individual. I'm speaking to us as a body this morning. And, and, and not just a body, but the body of Christ. So let's say you're here because a friend invited you, or you're here as a guest this morning. Well, if you're a born-again believer, you're still a member of the body of Christ, even if this is not where you normally worship. So when I say I'm speaking to all of us, I mean I'm speaking to, you know, although we be many, we're one body in Christ Jesus. And so the corrective word that I believe the Holy Spirit is emphasizing to the body of Christ has to do with functionality. It's not just enough to be or to belong, but it's to understand that as the body of Christ, we have a purpose. Amen. I said we have a purpose. Now, I could preach that you have a purpose, and, and that would be just as true. But your purpose, according to Romans 12 and many other passages in the Bible, your purpose is divinely linked, divinely linked, divinely connected with other people and other individual people's purposes in this room. Praise God. And this is a key area, I think, that, that we need to awaken ourselves to. Because the functionality of the body is what, is what matters. Amen. Now, if, if I could please, and we prayed about this just a moment ago. If you read the Scriptures, you can make a case for two things. All right? And I have people sometimes ask me this question. If you read the Scriptures, you can make a case for there being a great revival 
in the earth before Jesus returns. But you can also read the same scriptures and you can make a case for there being a great falling away before Jesus returns. So people ask me, you know, Pastor Mark, which one is it? And to me, it's not either or, it's both and. It's both and. In other words, we're going to see both a great awakening and a great revival. But at the same time, we're going to see others who are going to go the opposite direction. I've preached for many years, and this is the way the Lord showed it to me in my, I'm not going to try to say vision to try to sound spiritual, but in my imagination, an image, a picture that He gave me in my mind. And that is, um, you could say, you've got cold and you've got hot, and in the middle you've got lukewarm. That's not how he showed it to me. He showed it to me in colors. He showed, he showed me black. He showed me white, which represents not races, but people who are in darkness and people who are in the light. But then in the middle, he showed me a gray area where people kind of like to ride the fence, where people like to try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Come on now. Right? People who talk about the man upstairs in the good book but don't really know him and have never read any part of it, right? You know, folks that are in this gray zone. And what I believe the Lord showed me is happening, and we're already seeing it. We're already seeing it. It's that that gray zone is being eliminated because He would that you were hot or cold and that you would not ride the fence and be impassive, that you would either be all in or all out and not halfway in between. So that's why I believe, and we're already seeing these things, right? And, 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 and when, we, when we see uh, evil and darkness increase, you know, it's very easy for you and me to say, oh my goodness, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, you know, I've quoted Steve Richardson, our, our CPA here at the church, you know, we, were, we had a conversation one day about this, and he was talking about some of the depravity that we're seeing, especially among the young people in our world. But he also made this statement. He said, Pastor Mark, though, have you ever considered, you know, we focus so much on, on the things that, that the kids, the young people are doing today that's wrong and bad. He said, but the good ones are better than we ever were. Come on now, does that strike a chord with you? That resonate with you? Yeah, we see some kids getting into some junk, you know, stuff to get into today that wasn't available for us to get into, thank God. Amen. But the ones that are, that are excelling are excelling in ways that we never even imagined being able to excel. So, you know, that's why the Bible says to you and me as believers in this present evil age to not lose hope. Just because we see evil increase where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. And so I believe we will see simultaneously a, a falling away as well as an awakening in, in our nation. But now listen to me, please. While I have tremendous respect for what men like Reinhard Bonnke and, and Billy Graham and, and even some of the, you know, Kenneth Hagin, some of the men that are already with Jesus, Brother, Brother Hagin already with Jesus, Brother Billy Graham already with, with Jesus, there is a tendency for the church to look to these heroes of the faith to believe somehow that it's going to be men and women like this that are, that are going to you know, sweep in this great end time revival. I've never believed that. I believe there will always be men and women that God raises up like that, that Father raises up like that and uses. 
But I believe that the great end time revival is going to be the body of Christ rising up. Not just one or two among us who, who do great things, but that it's going to be the body of Christ, the church, which is the body of Christ, becoming the church and doing as the body of Christ, as the church, what the body of Christ, what the church, the body of Christ, is on this planet to do. For us to finally function as God created us to function. Now with men, all things are not possible. With men, things are, that are impossible. Things that are impossible, I'll say it right in a minute. You know what I'm trying to say anyway, right? Things that are impossible with, with men are possible with God. I heard Jerry Pearson say something um, on Thursday of last week that really, no, it was Wednesday of last, Thursday morning of last week. I don't know if any, any of you watch his uh, uh, legacy TV program on Believer's Voice of Victory Network. But he said the Lord spoke specifically to him to never say these words ever again. And those words are, I don't see how. Right? See, we look at things and we say, I don't see how I can afford that. I don't see how that'll ever work out. I don't see how that'll ever come to pass. See, we don't realize, but that's, we're speaking doubt and unbelief. We're aligning our thoughts, words, and actions with the way things look, seem, and feel when we say, I don't see how. Amen? Are you, are you hearing me? Right? Now, it's interesting because I saw that early Thursday morning and then met with uh, some people, Marcos and I met with some folks uh, later that morning uh, about some renovations and things that need to be done to improve the acoustics and all that around here. And it would be very easy for me to say, I can't see how we can afford that, but I'm just telling you, we can afford it. Amen? Amen. And I'm not hitting you up for money. I'm just telling you. It was very interesting that the Lord's, man, he said a lot of good things that morning but that right there just so stuck in don't ever say ever again don't ever let the words I don't see how I can't see how right what we should be saying is I can see very clearly how I can see very clearly how because right our source is the kingdom and there's no budget in the kingdom father's got everything right amen all right so with that you say well pastor mark I don't see how there's so much division. There's so many factions. There's, there's so much disagreement in the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about the portion of the body of Christ that assembles here week in and week out. I'm talking about the body of Christ that stretches all around the globe, right? So I don't, you know, people could say, I don't see how, I can't see how that's ever going to happen. But again, it may be impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. And he's bringing us together. Listen, I remember a day when, at least in this portion of Alabama, where people of different races didn't worship together on a Sunday morning. And if, if you had asked somebody in the, in the 60s and 70s, you know, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise God. One of the milestones in our, in our history here as a, as a church is um, we actually had um, a black man propose in marriage to a, his white girlfriend, fiance, right, at center court of a family life center at the local Baptist church. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Now, there was a day in the history of the church in this part of the world where people would say that I can't see how that would ever happen. You follow what I'm saying? Amen. When we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that, that subject alone, speaking in unknown tongues, it used to be such a divisive thing in the body of Christ. Man, you, you got Southern Baptist churches that are more spirit-filled now than ones who have you know, flames on their logos Pentecostal on their logos, right? There was a day when you would have said, I can't see how that will ever happen. But it's happening. It's happening. Amen? Because we serve a big God. 
Amen? And, and he's not... Listen, if I've learned anything about Father, if he decides something's going to be a certain way, it doesn't matter how long it takes or how much it costs, he will see it through till it's completed and it glorifies him. And the body of Christ will be the body of Christ. If it's not us, I'm believing it is. I'm not trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth. If it's not us, there will come a generation that we will witness from the grandstands in heaven that will rise up and be the body of Christ and function as the body of Christ, the singular body of Christ on planet earth. I say let's, let it be us. Amen? Let it be us and let's work as hard as we can until He calls us home to that end. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So he's talking about renewing our minds and not to be conformed to this world. We said that the prevailing thought or the prevailing mindset of this world is a me-first mindset. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? i got to do what's best for me. That's the prevailing mindset of the world. He's saying to you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can't let that mindset become our mindset. We, we can't let the way the world thinks and the way the world uh, sees themselves and the, and the way the world goes about this thing called life to influence the way we go about this thing called life. And, and so he's saying don't be conformed, don't be molded into that way of thinking, but to be transformed by the renewing or the reconditioning of your mind. Now verse 3, again, the context. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to your salvation, so, so minded. He's talking about according to, the, to what's true about you now as someone who's been born again. Not just to... You know, we say think soberly. We sometimes think, well, you know, don't be acting like a drunkard or don't be thinking like you're being influenced. And certainly that's an aspect. We can be influenced by the world. But the main thing here is to think like someone soberly, salvation-minded, to think like someone who's been born again, who's not of this world. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. There's that word function. So we being many are one body in Christ. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members, not just of the body of Christ, but members of one another. Members of one another. Praise God. So again, I'm not just trying to cherry pick. We, we could teach for months on this one passage, on, on these five verses. But the themes that I'm trying to point out to you is don't think like the world thinks. Don't let the way the world thinks influence the way you think. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. He's not telling you to think lowly of yourself. He's telling you to think in agreement with God. He's not saying have a low self-esteem, poor self-image. He's saying don't think more highly than you should think. To think more highly than you should think is to think that you don't need anybody else in this room. That you don't need the rest of the members of the body of Christ. That would be like a, 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 a part of someone's body being amputated from that body, right? And thinking that somehow that amputated part has purpose, meaning, significance, um, you know, purpose, functionality, you know, separated from the body, Amen. In other words, as important as my thumb is, it, it's, it's nothing unless it's connected to the rest of my body. It has no purpose. It has no function. God is a God of function. 
We love to talk about Him in, in emotional terms. We love to talk about Him. God is love. Yes, yes. His grace. Yes. His loving kindness. Yes. His joy. Yes. His peace. Yes. I mean, all of these things, we could just go on and on about it. But He's also a God of order. He's a God of design. And He is a God of function and functionality. Amen. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying here? And you will never understand your function till you understand that in connection with other members in the body of Christ. You will actually be transformed through your fellowship and interaction with the other members in the body of Christ. Amen. Well, let's... Um, thank you, Jesus. So... If I could just review some things that I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to, to review. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. A community is a group of people existing together. God's not people, but you understand what I mean. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Existing together is one thing, sharing with one another in that community is another thing altogether. The strength of the community is based upon the willingness of the individual member within the community to share with and interact with, fellowship with other people in the community. So God is an eternal community and He exists in absolute communion and in God the community is more important than the individual. Now listen to me please very carefully. I'm going to read some of this because I can say it faster this way. These thoughts, what I've said up to this point, this is more than you ought to be nice and think of someone besides yourself every now and then. That's stuff that Mama told us, right? And that's important. But what we're talking about here is more than just, uh, you know, treat other people the way you want to be treated. What we're talking about now are more than high ideals that we should aspire to that would make the world a better place. What we're talking about now are truth principles congruent with the way you were hardwired by your Creator. On the surface, these things seem so opposed to the way we should live, and it's interesting how many excuses people can come up with to not follow Jesus' instructions. This is a perfect example of how our minds have been conformed by the world to think opposite to the way God created us. And what we have here, please listen to me, is insight into the inner workings of the triune God who created you and everything around you. These are more than ideals to aspire to to make the world a better place, but this is deep truth as to how you were created and designed to live. You were created for fellowship and your life. You were created for community and your life. You were created for communion and your life will not make sense without it. So in this passage in Romans 12, he's addressing an important subject, but you will miss it if you don't look closely. He's addressing the important subject of how you think of yourself. How you think of yourself. How do you See yourself. See, the, see religion said you, sh you shouldn't even talk about those things. You shouldn't even think about yourself. Well, that's wrong. Jesus said love your neighbor as you love yourself. My opinion of me affects my opinion of you more than any other opinion. 
my relationship with myself from the position of how I see myself, what I believe to be true about myself, affects my relationship with you more than any other, more than any other truth, more than any other fact, more than any other understanding. The devil has never... He's, the devil doesn't want you to understand this. Man, I, it, I, am, I was so... I am still am. Please don't misunderstand me. Within a matter of five minutes, I had seven people tell me they either weren't going to be here or had to leave before this service this morning. One after the other, after the other, after the other. I mean, obviously, Barbie and Terry got to take care of her dad. Don't misunderstand me. You know. There were folks that were here that, man, I was so excited. I'm like, man, this is... God's got a word for you. People hadn't been here a long time. But they told me after class, Pastor, look, and I appreciate their, you know, most folks just ducked out, you know, dipped out and let me wonder. But don't misunderstand me. I'm glad they told me it's honorable. But it's like, no, Lord, I'm preaching this. But I'm telling you, please hear me now. If you're thinking about meatloaf right now, and I'm not talking about the singer, or maybe the singer or the food, either way, right? If you're thinking about meatloaf right now, it's, it's not a coincidence because the devil does not want you to understand this. Religion's telling you that you shouldn't think of yourself. Wrong. You do think of yourself. It's pointless for religion to tell you not to because we all do. It's not, it's not whether you should or not. It's what do you think about yourself? How do you see yourself? What is your opinion of yourself? It's one of the most important questions we could ever answer. Now, not only does the, does the enemy not want you to hear this message and, what, and how it affects your interaction with... And, let's just stop right here for just a moment. Are relationships important? Reckon? I'm not trying to distract you this morning, but if you think about the most joyous occasion of your life, what made that joyous was the other people who were in the room with you. And if you think of some of the saddest, most devastating, most hurtful times in your life, somewhere at the heart of that, there were also people involved. Am I right about this? You take everything out of the Bible that has to do with relationship of some kind, there's not much left in that Bible. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more rewarding. There's, there's no greater blessing than healthy relationships. God blessed God-ordained, thriving, growing relationships. It's one of the great sweet spots of life. But on the other side of that coin, man, a troubled child in your family, some other, in other words, a, a hurtful, harmful, broken relationship. No one knows, there's nothing on, on planet Earth that has the potential to bless you more or to hurt you more than another person. Amen. Amen. Few things affect your individual life more than your opinion of yourself. The real question here, and, and again, just as we look back and look ahead and in this moment of, of milestone, you know, these are things that we've talked about a lot over the years and and the reason I believe this is so closely connected with renewing the mind is because one of the most important areas that you could ever renew your mind, recondition your mind in, is to see yourself the way God sees you. 
to not see yourself in, listen very carefully, to not see yourself in light of your past, but in the light of His truth. To not see yourself in light of the failures you've made, the mistakes that you've made, the brokenness that you've been, been through in your life. See, people say, you know, I'm so thankful for all those things, Pastor Mark. Those are the things that have made me. If you've ever said that in the past, please ask God to forgive you right now and don't ever say it again. That is not what has made you. He has made you. Paul said it this way, I am who I am and I am what I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. You're not the sum total of all of your uh, successes subtracting all of your failures and adding into the bonus of your intelligence and somehow all that shakes out to make you who you are today. That's how the world factors these things. The final word is who your heavenly Father created you to be and who He recreated you to be in Christ Jesus. And the Bible is full of information, full of truth, full of verses that reveal these things to you. We tend to think like the person we were instead of the person we became, and that's why we still live like the person we were and relate to people around us like the person we were instead of who we now are in Christ. This, again, is one of the most important areas that we need to renew and recondition our minds in. Our identity in Christ has been one of the major themes here over the past 20 years. How you see yourself determines how you think other people see you, including God, which in turn determines how you respond to them, including Him. Your heritage is what belongs to you. Your inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are. If you never know who you are in Christ, you will never have the wherewithal in place in your heart to begin to receive, believe, and walk out what belongs to you because of who you are in Christ. I've said this so many times over the years. The Lord impressed upon me that the name of this family of faith would be Heritage Christian Center. He said, your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. So we almost from the very beginning began to teach people what belonged to them because of who they were. The only problem is it was sailing right over most people's heads. And the Lord showed me, He said, it's because they don't know who they are. So it doesn't make sense to them. Now listen to me very carefully. The Lord's fixing to add the next layer of brick on top of this. The truth is laid into our lives on a foundation, right? Then like brick, they're laid row upon row, upon line, upon line, upon precept, upon precept. Are you with me? It's time for a new row to be laid. Because so much of the needed identity mind renewal that has taken place today in believers' lives is not going far enough because it is only focusing on individual identity in Christ. It is only focusing on individual identity in Christ. It is only focusing on individual identity in Christ. Five years ago, if you would have told me it's only focusing on individual identity in Christ, I would have probably said something like, well, what else is there? But again, see, this reveals this me first, what's in it for me, 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 me. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? It's not just who am I, it's who am I in relationship to who Father is, and who am I in relationship to every other person in this room. 
It's time for us to go from who am I to who are we. Who are we? Because any understanding of who I am in Christ that does not include how I relate to you and what my life has to do with yours and yours with mine is at best incomplete. Who you are individually in Christ is among, is among the most important truths you will ever accept, embrace, internalize, and renew your mind to. But if you never understand your identity in relationship to the other members of the body you are in Christ with, you will never function according to your true purpose and potential. Come on now, I'm going to put that on the screen again. I'm going to put it on the screen and read it again. Who you are individually in Christ is among the most important truth you will ever accept, embrace, internalize, and renew. That should say your mind too. But if you never understand your identity in relationship to the other members of the body you are in Christ with, you will never function according to your true purpose and potential. We'll talk about this a little more in depth later, but... If my thumb, my right thumb, if my right thumb knows that it's a right thumb, if it knows who it is in Mark Winslet, right? Are you hearing me? If my thumb knows that it is the most important finger on my dominant hand, right? If my thumb understands the ability it has to communicate approval, or disapproval, right? You hear me? I'm being a little silly now. But if my thumb never understands its relationship to the other members of my body that are in closest proximity to it, if it refuses to work with my index, middle, ring, and pinky finger, if it refuses to acknowledge the hand that it's connected to and the wrist that it's connected to, are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen, Romy. I want to give you two very, very important things. And we'll try to wind this down for now. Number one has to do with your personal identity. And that is who I am in relationship to who God is. If you don't know this, if you do not know this, Set aside extra time every day of your life until you begin to at least establish a beachhead of this truth in your heart. Outside of, outside of you hearing the gospel and receiving it, there are a few things, if any, that the devil fights harder against in your heart and life and mind than you ever finding out who you are in Christ, who you are in relationship to who God is. Please, please. I, Matt, have we been doing it for 20 years? We've been doing it for 20 years, and I'm telling you, we will not let up. Anybody that will listen to me anytime I have a chance, we've got to get this. We've got, we've got to establish this. I saw you grinning, Bill. 13 years in discipleship counselor training class, we focused on these things, right? It is so critically important. It is so critically important. That's number one. Number two, 
who I am in relationship to who you are. You being the body of Christ. Now, I want to build on this for a second. I know it's 1130. Amen. If I do not know who I am in relationship to who God is, then I will never have the correct understanding of who I am in relationship to you and others. Somebody may be in, in the listening either now or later by recording or something. You say, well, that kind of sounds like psychology to me, Pastor. No, no, no. Psychology sounds like this. There's a difference. There's a difference. Let me put this down for a minute. The Bible says that Father Jesus said, that the day is coming when everything will be changed and we live in that day. He told this to a woman he met at a well one day. And she asked him the controversial question of their day. She says, your fathers say we're supposed to worship here. Our father, my father say we're supposed to worship here. And Jesus says, there's coming a day when it won't be the place or the posture it won't be, you know, the physical location because Father is looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father's looking for true worshipers. Are you hearing me? Father is looking for true worshipers. If there's a such thing as a true worshiper, then that means there's other kinds as well. Come on now. If there's true worshiper, then there's, there's one who's not a true worshiper, right? Now, in order to become or aspire to or, or, or strive for, set your heart upon being a true worshiper, we've got to understand what the word worship really means. I've been all over the map where this, that Scripture is concerned over the years. And, and, and I, listen, I believe that a lot of what I said was accurate about it. Let me just say it that way, amen? The whole spirit and truth part is very easy for us Pentecostal believers to, you know, you know, you got to speak in tongues, pray in tongues, sing in the spirit if you're going to, you know, listen, I got that already. Spirit and truth, hear me though, I believe, obviously I am all that, but he's talking about the spirit of God being inside you. And you walking in the spirit. You can't walk in the spirit unless the spirit's inside you. And then he's talking about the truth and, and so much of what we do uh, and what people do and call worship has no basis whatsoever in the Scriptures. I look thinner with my hands raised, but I don't lift my hands because I look thinner. I lift my hands because the truth in God's Word tells me that Father prefers to be worshipped with my hands raised. He actually prefers for me to pray with my hands raised. If you read the Bible, that's what it says. Praying with hands lifted, holy hands lifted. Praying to God with my hands raised. We don't sing loudly and play skillfully and do all these things because we like music. Yeah. 
Because the truth in God's Word explains these things to us and tells us to sing these songs and to sing new songs and to make melody in our hearts and, and all of these things, right? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you realize that when you stand in this, in this room and you worship with other people, we're not just singing to God. We're singing to and for every other person in this room. See, we like to say, oh, no, no. It's just me and God. It's just me and God. No, that's what you do in your closet with you and God. When I stand here and say he's a good, good father, I'm not just saying it to him. I'm saying it to every person in this room that can hear me say it. He's a good, good father. I'm telling him he's a good father. And if you'll listen and to me and I'll listen to you, I'm hearing every other person in this room say he's a good, good father. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're just singing to him. If all worship was with just me singing to Him, there's no need for us to come here to do it. It's a group. It's a body. It's not just my individual being worshiping Him. It's the body worshiping Him. See, if you understood how much it meant to him for us to all say the same thing, even if it is only for five minutes during one song with the words in front of us, such a breath of fresh air for heaven for all the members of the body of Christ to actually agree for a three-minute, 48-second song that he's a good, good father. And all say it together. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Praise God. But again, the context of this is the outward trappings, the position, the posture, the location, the ceremony, the ritual, the tradition. All of that, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't understand it and, and at least you know, pull out of that what is appropriate to us in the New Testament. But we still haven't got to what worship really is. By definition, the word worship means, literally it means to kiss, but the idea behind kissing is that in those days, people kissed one another based upon their understanding of their relationship to that person. If two people were equal, they kissed on the lips. If one person was in rank above another, say an elder, you would kiss them on the cheek or on the hand or even on the foot. True worship is you understanding who you are in relationship to who God is. That's a true worshiper. Can I just go ahead and give you the abbreviated version? He's number one, you're number two. If he's number one and you're number three, that means something else has come between you and him more important than your relationship with you and him and you're worshiping that thing before him. I'm not saying you don't worship him. Listen to me, please. Because if, if, you, you, you worship God vertically, right? So if, something, if you've allowed something in your life to come, a person, a thing, whatever, to come between you and him, I'm not saying that you don't worship him, but notice you're now worshiping him through number two to get to number three. I'm, I'm sorry, through number two to get to number one. You follow what I'm saying? I didn't say it right, but you're still following it. Amen. <laughs> Pretty simple. If it's simple enough, if I can say it wrong and you still know what I meant, that's good, right? A true worshiper means there's, no, there's nothing, you don't allow anything to come between you and him to push you into a number three slot. 
A true worshiper doesn't put God to and you one either, right? But it's knowing who you are in relationship to who He is. Now, that's number one, but if it stops there, we haven't gone far enough. Because number two, I need to know who I am in relationship to who you are. And if I don't know who I am in relationship to who God is, then I will never have the correct understanding of who I am in relationship to you. In other words, it's number one for a reason. Number one unlocks number two. Can I say it a little more plainly than that? I can't see you clearly until I see myself clearly, and I can't see myself clearly until I see myself as Father sees me. I can't see you clearly until I see myself clearly, and I can't see myself clearly until I see myself as Father sees me. The more I see myself as He sees me, the more I'm able to see you as He sees you. The effect this has on my relationship with others is nothing less than profound. Now, we're going to get into the fullness of this tonight, but let me introduce it right now and then we'll pray, okay? Constant irritation, frustration, and impatience with other people. Anybody still with me? It's getting real quiet out there. I'm looking down. Oh yeah, y'all are still here. Okay, amen. Constant irritation, frustration, and impatience with other people are all really good signs you don't see yourself as Father sees you. Anger issues and judging other people are even more glaring signs that you don't know who you are in Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ and becoming confident in these truths will improve or solve altogether every relationship issue. See, more than likely in a room this size, there's some of us here today, you got somebody in your life really close to you, a boss, a spouse, don't just keep looking straight ahead, amen, a boss, a spouse, a child, a, a parent, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, uh, what have you, somebody that you just think, man, my life would be so much better if that person would change. That person would just do this, this, and this. And if this person would just quit doing that, those, and them, right? Well, I don't know if you figured out by now, you can't change other people. We have a hard enough time experiencing change ourselves. Am I right about this? And the Bible says that the anger of a man is powerless to produce the righteousness of God in another person's life. Meaning you can't get mad enough at yourself to make yourself right, much less mad enough at somebody else to make them right. So what's the answer, Pastor Mark? The answer is, the more you understand who you are in Christ, what's changing there? The way you see yourself changes, and the way you, when the way you see yourself changes, how you see that person will change, which means how you respond to that person will change. I'm going to read it again. Knowing who you are in Christ and becoming confident in these truths will improve if not solve altogether 
not some, not most, every relationship issue. Amen? All right, stand with me this morning. Praise God. I know I went a little long. Let's, uh, let's land this plane today. Praise God. All right, so, um, amen. Tonight, we're going we're gonna to dig into this a little deeper on how seeing ourselves as we are in Christ through the eyes of our Heavenly Father, how this in a practical way, affects and influences and, and, and benefits um, not just you, but your relationship with other people. Again, key word here is function, functionality. Amen. Father, thank you this morning for your love. Thank you for the things that you've done for us, the things that you've given to us. Father, I pray for wisdom and, Lord, that gift of repentance, that renewing of the mind, Lord, that we would just with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, begin to see ourselves more clearly through your eyes, Father. Not just for our benefit, Lord, but ultimately, Lord, in all the important relationships in our lives and how just this one key truth, this one key area of growth and renewal and reconditioning will have such ripple effect, such domino effect, throughout the relationships and the functionality that exists, the purpose that exists, the goals and, and common interests, Lord, the, 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 the met needs, unmet needs, Lord, how much of a difference all of that will be made, Lord, just through this one area, this one key area. Father, none of us are islands unto ourselves. None of us, Father, can do what we're on this earth to do alone. We have no purpose outside of the body of Christ. We have no way to fulfill our destiny apart from working together with other members in the body of Christ. Father, help us to grow in these areas. Help us to mature in these areas. Help us, Father, to come to a place of confidence in these areas where, Father, we can confidently submit to and serve one another without feeling insecure, without feeling threatened. Father, the enemy has established these strongholds in, in different pockets and different areas of the body of Christ for, for many, many, many generations, but I thank you, Father, that those strongholds are being broken and torn down here among us. And I thank you, Father, that we are the church. We are the body of the living, resurrected, glorified Savior. And we will function and we will fulfill our destiny in your kingdom, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck. Love somebody in Jesus. Thank you so much for being here. If you see somebody you don't know or recognize, take a minute to introduce yourself. We'll be back tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll jump back in uh, where we left off this morning. We've got some good things to, to learn and grow in where all this is concerned.